I recently had the good fortune of representing Joyous Justice and Jews Talk Racial Justice at a colloquium entitled Jewish Responses to the Loneliness Epidemic. What follows is my presentation. This is Jews Talk Racial Justice with April and Tracy, a weekly show hosted by April Baskin and Tracy Guy Decker. In a complex world, change takes courage. Wholehearted relationships can keep us accountable. Hi. I'm Tracy Guy Decker. I use she, her pronouns, and I am zooming to you from my home office on Susquehannock land, also known as Baltimore, Maryland. I am a senior partner at Joy's Justice LLC, the social good company run by my friend and boss, April Baskin, and the company responsible for the podcast, Jews Talk Racial Justice with April and Tracy. That's me. As I started preparing for this presentation, I realized with some sadness that there are many, many forms and even more causes of loneliness. The Venn diagram of grief and loss and anger and overwhelm and sorrow and abandonment and overwork and shame and under-resource and injustice and inequity and internalized oppression and surviving trauma has a great big intersection labeled loneliness. That one little word is so very complicated, which is how there can be a whole colloquium about it. As a representative of joyous justice and Jews talk racial justice, I'm going to focus on one specific manifestation of loneliness that we have experienced in the cluster of pandemics these past two plus years. I want to talk about the loneliness that comes when we learn of yet another injustice in the world and we feel completely powerless to do anything about it. We faced that powerless loneliness in 2020 when we learned of George Floyd's murder. We faced it in 2021 when we watched armed insurrectionists assault the U.S. Capitol. We faced it in early 2022 when we learned of the hundreds of children's graves at the sites of former residential schools for Indigenous Canadians, and again more recently when hundreds of similar graves were found in the U.S. We faced it in 2020 and in 2021 and in 2022 when Asian and Pacific Islander heritage women and men were attacked or killed because of their ethnicity. We faced it earlier this year when an armed man held a rabbi and his congregants hostage. We've been facing it for the past three months since Russian tanks rolled into Ukraine. We faced it a few weeks ago when we learned that abortion access likely has a time limit in the United States. And then again, when we were reminded that grocery shopping, while Black, is not a safe activity in the United States. And yet again, on May 24th, when, not surprisingly, and nevertheless shockingly, at least 19 children were violently stolen from the world in a preventable tragedy. Pain and injustice as big as these always have the potential to create loneliness. We feel the weight of the grief and the injustice, and we think it might crush us. 
In the age of COVID, even more so, since we are literally alone so often. A frequent, though not universal, Jewish pattern in the face of trauma and terror is what Sherry Brown calls being scared active. She says it this way, quote, Jews are sometimes scared and panicked, the result of a long history of betrayal and abandonment. This panic leaves us in certain circumstances wanting to take charge of a situation, exerting strong leadership, even interrupting or taking over if it looks as though something could go wrong. I have sometimes called the Jewish need to take charge of situations and the urgent need to get things right as being scared active. When white Gentiles are scared, they might hide out in their bedrooms. When Jews are scared, we might build 10 new organizations. In other words, fear may propel a Jewish person toward urgent activity. End quote. I believe that a component of that scared, active, urgent activity is loneliness. It is actual loneliness in the present that comes from feeling small and scared and powerless. But it is also loneliness informed by ancestral trauma of being small and scared and targeted. This specific loneliness is one that longs for comrades and solidarity, but also distrusts others. It is a loneliness that accompanies what my podcast co-host April Baskin calls factory settings. In other words, that scared active kill circle in which we employ all of the armor, all of the mistrust and self-protection that we have inherited from our ancestors. Even in the before times, when those factory settings got triggered, many in the Jewish community retreated further inward. We created new organizations, but we did so predominantly with other Jews. Our scared active distrust of strangers led to hyper-awareness of what we can and can't control and hyper-vigilance against possible malice or betrayal from those around us, including too often other Jews who don't look or love or worship like we do. Those moments were lonely for Jewish people on either side of the armor. But in this pre-post-COVID reality we're navigating now, the number of people we can see inside that kill circle has shrunk even further. And our awareness of the loneliness has grown. See if this resonates. You read a headline, quote, Supreme Court has voted to overturn abortion rights, draft opinion says, end quote. You think, oh shit, this is bad. Really bad. I have to do something. What am I going to do? There's nothing I can do. Maybe you text a friend. Maybe you post on Facebook. Maybe you pull out your credit card and give money to the National Abortion Rights Action League or Planned Parenthood. But mostly, you stew. You obsessively scroll through the news or Twitter and stew in your upset and your fear and your powerlessness. And because you are, literally alone during this stewing. It feels as though you are the only one feeling this way. And so you feel deeply lonely. Part of the problem here is related to what Sherry Brown wrote, that thing where Jewish people sometimes feel the need to take charge when they're afraid something won't go well. I know that's the impulse I'm feeling when I'm in that lonely stew that I just described. 
I feel the need to somehow take charge of what I see isn't going well, but that's impossible. I can't take charge. This is not a problem of one person's making, and it will not be solved by one person. Not even someone as smart and talented and, you know, humble as I am. Collective challenges require collective solutions, but our training from ancestral and personal trauma has us believing the only one you can rely on is you. The dissonance between those two truths shows up as, among other things, isolation and loneliness. And that's why one of our guiding principles at Joyous Justice is that we counter isolation. But what does countering isolation look like in the age of social distancing? How does one make for yourself a teacher and find for yourself a friend, as Pirkei Avot advises, when we're afraid to be within six feet of strangers? I don't know. To be honest, I think it might be the wrong question. Because even before I make a teacher and find a friend, I need to investigate and unpack my inherited, the only one you can rely on is you. It isn't true. And though it is a mindset that my and our collective ancestors adopted for clear and present reason, it no longer serves, at least not in its purest form. I do have a responsibility, an obligation to own what is mine, but no more. Though it may not be immediately obvious, a better Pirkei Avot quote for a Jewish response to the injustice-fueled loneliness epidemic is from Rabbi Tarfan. You are not obligated to complete the work, but neither may you desist from it. In this time, for this challenge, the task is not to have two people, a teacher and a friend, but rather to remember we are a part of a community even when we aren't gathered as a community. I feel a demand to keep going from the enormity of the world's grief and injustice. My scared active drive and my passion to see injustice corrected conspire. They push me into overwork and loneliness. I can become afraid to rest for fear that while I'm not paying attention, something terrible will happen. I can convince myself that everything depends on me. And that is an exceedingly lonely place to stand. I once heard the poet Aurora Levins Morales talk about this lonely place. I wish I could find the poem, but in my memory, she speaks about being afraid to sleep for fear of letting down her comrades, biological and chosen family whose liberation requires the progress for which she works. And then the protagonist of the poem remembers just how big this beautiful aching world really is. And imagine passing a torch to community members unseen, but surely there in the next earlier time zone. And they pass the torch west one hour, and then they pass, etc. Until the morning, when the poet's protagonist can pick up the work again, rested and ready. There's a reason our ancestors and predecessors reserved the holiest of prayers for times when we had a minion, a community. Holy work is done in community. Grieving is holy work. And working for justice 
to dismantle oppression and ensure the dignity of all people, that's holy work. As an aside, I will note that inspired by April's frequent encouragement to water the seeds of what we want to grow, I have recently decided to stop using fighting or war as a metaphor for working for justice. We are not fighters, but gardeners. We are planting and watering and tending the seeds of our and everyone's future liberation. And a garden this big, it requires a whole crew. But what about when the crew can't safely gather or when you aren't sure who they are? I have two thoughts on that. One borrows from the Jewish tradition of as if. Every year, we are commanded to tell the Passover story as if we ourselves left Egypt. As if. Our ancestors understood much about human psychology. They understood the power of as if. They understood the power of imagination. So my first answer about what to do when separated from or unknown to your crew is to think, work, and talk as if there is a whole crew out there of other gardeners also tending the blossoms you want to nurture. The more you live into that as if, the more true it will become for many reasons. You will be able to recognize your crew when you do encounter them. You will be able to rest, trusting, as Aurora Levin's Morales reminded me, that the torch will not go out or waver when you need to care for your own needs. You will seek out others, which leads to my second thought on what to do when we can't be together. Thankfully, we live in an age where access to others' thoughts, voices, faces, and work are easy even when physical proximity is not. You can meet your fellow mourners or gardeners through their words in books and blogs, on social media, and if you'll forgive the self-promotion, on podcasts like Juice Talk Racial Justice, or in online courses and communities like those we offer at Joyous Justice. And so when it comes to the loneliness of feeling small and scared and powerless in the face of enormous grief injustice, and pain. I will leave you with some words of Torah from the late, great Dr. Bell Hooks. One of the most vital ways we sustain ourselves is by building communities of resistance, places where we know we are not alone. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. Our show's theme music was composed by Elliot Hammer. You can find this track and other beats on Instagram at Elliot Hammer. If this episode resonated with you, please share it and subscribe. To join the conversation, visit JewsTalkRacialJustice.com, where you can send us a question or suggestion, access our show notes, and learn more about our team. Take care until next time and stay humble and keep going.